Mia, how successful is Jonathan going to be here in America? Not very successful. successful <laughs> <as> <laughs> <well>. <laughs> Welcome to Peak Show, where we are podcasting for our lives. I'm your host, Bree Rohde, and I set out to explore when the media and creators you love peaked. With me today is Liz, and if you like hockey and you don't suck, you know her from the Twitter handle at Yano for sure, and you probably know her from the amazing Toronto Maple Leafs podcast, Real Good Pros. So welcome, Liz. Tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. It's it's so great to be on. I was just saying it's so weird to be on the other side and be like a guest somewhere. So this is very exciting. Uh, so like we said, I'm Liz. Uh, I'm a communications professional uh, up in Ottawa. Uh, and like you said, I yell about hockey and pop culture quite often on my Twitter at Yano for sure. And I yell even louder on my Leafs podcast with my wonderful pal Helen, Real Good Pros. Yeah, and Real Good Pros is a fantastic podcast. I'm not just saying that because I was uh, lucky enough to be a guest on it. Uh, I think Real Good Pros, if you, I'd say if you like hockey, but also if you're kind of just getting into hockey, uh, it's a really great, super accessible show. Um, you know, it's it's not heavy on the analytics, even though you guys do understand uh, analytics. And when you want to have advanced analytics, you have your <laughs> analytics nerds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's a place, it's a safe space to go if you want to hear two grown women get drunk and cry about Sheldon Keith for placing Mike, Bab- Mike Babcock as, uh, as head coach of the Leafs. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely, I think, sums up the brand. Just, like, crying about our faves. Yes. Uh, so, as, uh, as part of the show tradition, I'm going to ask you, Liz, when did you peak? So, if I'm being, like, deep and introspective and, like, in my feelings about it, I'm going to say I'm currently at my peak, but for the sake of humor, uh, it was definitely in university because that's when I could drink the most and stay out the longest, and uh, I was probably the funniest at that point in my life, so... <laughs> well, knowing you now as an adult, I would agree that you are currently peaking, or more intriguingly, that we haven't seen the peak yet. Exactly. <laughs> but um, it's funny because you say you could drink the best in university, and I couldn't. I drank in high school like crazy because I'm from Timmins, Ontario. We're just like, it's it's what you do. And then in university, I was broke all the time and couldn't drink. And I came or, or couldn't afford to drink much. And I came out of the out of it on the other side, just like getting tired <laughs> after one cider. I'm like, oh, see, I was the opposite. Like I didn't drink in high school at all because like I went to city or I went to high school in a city like 20 minutes from me. Like, so I took the bus there. So I couldn't get to parties and I couldn't like do all those things. So then once I hit university, it was like, oh, I can drink. And I went to university in Ottawa so I could drink across the river uh, like as much as I wanted. So it was, uh, yeah, it was definitely uh, my peak. That was my peak drinking stage. How about that? (laughs) Well, I'll say that probably neither of us had that much time for drinking and partying in high school because both of us uh, grew up dancing. And uh, that is why I've had Liz on for this episode of Peak Show, where we're discussing the peak of the reality show, So You Think You Can Dance. So Liz, tell us a little bit about your relationship with the show. Oh my god. So like you said, I was a dancer in high school. I danced basically from the age I was like six, like until university kind of thing. Um, so I loved the show. Basically, as soon as it premiered, I was like, oh, this is this is for me. This is my show. Um, 
I watched kind of religiously up to, I want to say like season eight. Um, I kind of fell off because both I went to school with no real cable. And then as they started to do like the more gimmicky kind of things, like having like, um, like male and female winners and the thousandth all-star season kind of thing. I kind of lost interest with that and I didn't have as much of like a care for it. But those like early seasons, I was just obsessed with it. I remember I would like practice the dances that they did. Like after I was like, I'm going to learn how to do this. Yeah, I have and still largely know uh, one of my favorite auditions of all time, which we'll get to some of our favorites. But um, uh, Lauren Gottlieb's audition to um, BB Your Love by Rachel uh, Rachel Yamagata. that is one of my favorite dances of all time. And that was the kind of dancer I was. So I started dancing when I was about 11 or 12. I actually started dancing as a form of physiotherapy because I have a muscle disorder called hypotonia, which makes me um, very hypermobile, but basically no strength. So um, uh, basically all I have going for me is I've got legs. Um, <laughs> I, I still, I'm pretty proud of the fact that I am almost 32 years old and I can still oversplit, but that's like all I can do. Um, <laughs> I was I was mainly a recreational dancer, but I did take it very seriously. Like I did your tap, jazz, ballet, modern. I didn't do acro, but I um, I did acro in university because I did a decent amount of gymnastics training. And so I have a thing, and it comes up whenever I watch. So you think I do not like the way dancers tumble because you can always tell like oh you learned how to tumble in a dance studio not in gymnastics because mm-hmm. they're so low to the ground but mm-hmm. um and then i did some competing in high school especially like with my high school team or with my students like pre-competitive group um or it was the kind of thing where like you can be in the intermediate group i'm 17 you're in the intermediate <laughs> group <laughs> um i was like so you, you know you talk about peaking i would say uh, in my youth training i thought i was peaking at about 18 and then i got injured Um, But then I think of, I went to a really, really serious studio, but I think of all the people that I danced with, there were only a few, well, one guy who was much younger than me, he's now with Royal Danish Ballet, so he's definitely, (laughs) and he was, and he was Billy Elliot on Broadway for a couple of years. Stop. Oh my God. (laughs) And then uh, one girl who was on So You Think, uh, Canada, um, she's not dancing anymore. And then if you've ever heard of the dance competition, View Dance Challenge. The gentleman, so. the CEO and founder of that, we I danced with him. So I oh, was, okay. yeah, I was like at the bottom, bottom of that, <laughs> that group. Um, oh, I totally get it because I was the same as you. I didn't, uh, I was mainly like recreational dance. It was kind of like, here, here's something for you to do. You didn't pick a sport, you picked dance. So here you go. So I did the classic tap ballet and jazz and then eventually ballet turned into point and then once I got to high school I was able to do different kind of um different styles so modern and contemporary and like more like sexy jazz as opposed to like the classic like studio kind of jazz that my teacher did um so yeah it's the same idea and that's one thing that I loved about so you think you can dance I would always be like wow is this what like competition dance was like see I I did do a lot of and I spent a lot of time at competitions as well because I worked at my studio and um I have now been like like I said only a few people from my dance studio have continued dancing. And I feel like I'm actually one of the only ones that is still dancing. And sometimes I wonder, is it because I didn't peak early? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, so I guess I started teaching when I was 17. And so that's, 
this would be my 15th year teaching. I'm taking time off because studios aren't protecting teachers from COVID very well. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's a whole scene, but like I'm an ADAPT certified teacher uh, and I've been teaching, I'd say a mix of recreational and competition, but also a lot of pre-professional. Like I was teaching at a pre-professional ballet school in Toronto uh, for a while, uh, teaching recreationally in Hamilton. And I also taught a lot of dancers with special needs. And so that was when I started pivoting away from teaching competitive dance and more toward like, you know, really using your technique, but just like, I, I'm so over comp dance now. <laughs> um, it definitely has a certain energy. Yeah. So I, I think, so you think you dance premiered when I was, I think it was the summer between grade 10 and 11 for me. And that was when I was starting to get more serious about it and like work a little bit harder and um, maybe lose the attitude because I got a bit of an attitude in class. So <laughs> sorry, Miss Nancy. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, uh, why don't we dive into the history, uh, uh, since I love history. Uh, so you Thinking of Dance is, or no, not was, is a reality competition show focused on dance. Debuted in the summer of 2005, several years after American Idol had become a television phenomenon. Um, and unlike American Idol, So You Think was a format that was original to the US. So a lot of people forget that American Idol was actually an adaptation of a UK format, Pop Idol, but the American version was what made it explode. Uh, so You Think was notably created by Simon Fuller and Nigel Lithgow, who were the British brains behind Pop Idol and American Idol. Uh, it's smart that unlike Pop Idol, they pitched it directly to a US network, which they did with Fox. Um, now, in terms of ratings, its highest season was the first, which is the case with a lot of reality competition shows. It had about 10 million average viewers per episode, which is still nothing compared to American Idol. Um, even a middling or bad season of Idol in the ABC years was 10 million, and that's a low for that. But Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, and like, which is weird because in Canada, a good show these days would be two to three million and that's like oh my god <laughs> you can maybe reach four million if you are a stanley cup final with two canadian teams which has that happened recently <laughs> not recently or i i think the the big bang theory was the highest cool. rating i ever wrote uh, the big bang theory finale was the highest rating i ever wrote up at my old job so cool cool cool, cool. <laughs> great society we live in a society <laughs> we do live in a society um, but yeah, So You Think was a summer show. Um, Idol was only a summer show for its first year. So summer shows, and I know this because the reporting I used to do, um, are generally not watched as much as a mid-year show. So first off, like the standards is lower for what's considered a ratings juggernaut. Um, the bragging rights are high because it's like, yeah, I got people to come inside and sit in their living rooms on a beautiful day. Um, <laughs> watch something that they couldn't really DVR because uh, they, you wanted to be able to vote. So. Uh, it was it was a smash hit. There were 28 additional international versions launched, although just under half of them only lasted one season and additional 10 only lasted two seasons, which might just uh, come from the fact that competitive dance isn't actually that big of a thing in markets outside of the US, Canada and Australia. Um, but Liz, you said that you went to a taping of the Canadian version. Yeah, I did. So in high school, and I want to say it was, I can't remember the exact year, but it was probably like 2010, 2011. Um, my dance class did a trip. My dance class had cool trips. We went to see um, Dirty Dancing in Toronto, which was incredible. Um, but then we also got to go to a taping of uh, one of the So You Think You Dance Canada um, tapings. And that was really cool. Um, 
We got to meet uh, Blake McGrath, which was just a highlight for all of us. <laughs> and it was really cool. It was, um, it wasn't like the voting off show. It was like the actual, like the performance show. Um, and it was cool to both see it from behind the scenes, like how they recorded the show, um, as well as just seeing the dancers in front of you. And it was really nice because it was a Canadian show, so very small studio audience. So it was like basically just us just watching these like incredible dancers. And it was it was so different than seeing it on TV. Like, I think also like from the dance perspective, you hear like them like hitting the floor and you see like all of that kind of stuff. But it was it was really good. I like So You Think You Dance Canada, um, but like all Canadian spinoffs, it's it came to its end. Yeah, and and that happened to most of the international versions. There are only two that remain ongoing, uh, which are Kazakhstan and Tunisia. I should have probably looked up the. Uh, I, I should have probably looked up uh, some of the performances from a few of those, but uh, yeah. So I um, and, and it was the third season that um, a fellow dancer of mine from my studio had uh, had maybe top ten girls. I think she was like the third or fourth or fourth she didn't quite make the top 10 uh like top 10 contestants she was maybe the fifth girl voted off um she did not do particularly well and um i know that she is not dancing anymore uh fun personal stories that she went to work for a per for a pr agency that gave me guff about a story at my old job um and it it was not my fault. I was not in the wrong, but also hilariously, she did not remember me. She did not know who oh, I was. No. And at some point, I want to be like, yo, we used to dance together like three <laughs> nights a week. You don't remember me? That's a very intensive hobby. You would have seen my face all the time. <laughs> it was funny, but um, so for So You Think You asked, there were a few turning points. One was that as of 2006, which was only its second year, um, it could no longer call itself the number one summer show because America's Got Talent debuted, um, which put ABC on the mark for the reality competition department. Uh, and from there, it took a few seasons, but so you think went through a bunch of somewhat, I'd say, mad dash changes. Liz mentioned kind of gimmicky. Um, first, they had season six, which not only changed the timing of the show, like it became a fall show, but it premiered almost immediately after season five finished. Um, I remember that. It yeah. was weird. I, which is funny because uh, we'll get to this, but I so prefer season six to season five, just in terms of the contestants and because season six featured tap dancers. Um, but I'm guessing it didn't work out for it because it went right back to being a summer series the next year. And then it, it tried things like, uh, you know, rotating out a new guest judge every episode. It had a kid's season. It had um, two seasons with a male and female winner. And uh, then it introduced the all-stars format, which was in pretty much when I was like, I don't care about this show anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and there was also the uh, incredibly problematic stage versus street format. Oh, yeah. I remember <sighs> seeing like the previews for that. And I was just like, is there no one at the table? The, no one at the table. <laughs> the way they do, they do hip hop dirty on this show. Oh, I have so much beef with the way that they would do hip hop or any form of like non quote unquote stage dancing. We'll um, get to it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a hip-hop dancer myself. Oh, yeah. Don't ask me to hip-hop dance. It's embarrassing. I'm really bad, and that's because I have very little, like, strength and stuff. So, like, my isolations are not good. Like, I try really hard, but that makes it worse. Um, <laughs> but hip-hop is actually my favorite style to watch. But they just... 
they're very unkind to I'll say especially yes. especially b-boys but um yes. yeah we'll get to that we'll get there <laughs> its most recent ratings are at about 40 percent of what it, what they were in the first season not a 40 percent decline it is 40 percent of what it was so that's pretty significant it's like you're maxing out at 4 million viewers uh so it would be considered good in Canada yeah they should come back <laughs> uh the U.S. show is technically still ongoing it did not have a season for 2020, but hey, what did? Uh, and, and to my knowledge, nothing has been announced for 2021, but it has not formally been canceled. It's also noteworthy that in 2017, the reality show World of Dance premiered in the US. Um, it's the um, child of the broader World of Dance Entertainment franchise. And although the formats do differ slightly, it is safe to say that between America's Got Talent and World of Dance, uh, so, you think you can, so You Think You Can Dance is now facing a much more crowded market for stage and performance reality shows. So uh, yeah, also noteworthy uh, because again, I used to report on the TV industry. Uh, the show hasn't had a Canadian network pick it up in several years. Like I'm, I'm sure you recall it used to air yeah. on CTV every summer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you want to watch it in Canada, you have to get it directly from a US network. So what that means in TV speak is that no Canadian network considered it worth the cost to acquire because it costs Canadian <laughs> networks money to acquire mm-hmm. these shows and they run it simulcast so that even if you're watching So You Think on Fox, you're seeing CTV ads and they're making money. Mm-hmm. So it like that says bad shit about the show because it doesn't yeah. make networks enough money to justify buying it. So. And you'd, you'd think that, no offense to Canadian networks, but they'd want to bring in stuff like that. so our feelings about the topic which we've already gotten in you know being a dancer myself i was really excited to see dance represented on screen um and at the time because again i looked up to competition dancers you know was trying to be a competition dancer uh, i was like why are they so mean about competition dancers like it's used as an insult on the show like oh Mm -hmm. very very competition and like Mm -hmm. competition is a good thing (laughs) but uh it shows shows what i know now um, now like American Idol, there was the obvious, you know, sob stories and archetypes they try to fill, and they never really tried to subvert any of that. Uh, one of the things I really didn't like um, was that the way some dancers would try to defy archetypes, and the show really did not let them. Like two guys who were winners of the show, Joshua Allen in season four and Russell Ferguson in season six, they, um, or even Sarah Von Gillern, who did not win, but was one of my favorite contestants in season three, the show tried to act as though they had no formal training. The judges would even say like, oh, it's crazy. You're you're just a B-girl and you can do that. When it's like, they had formal dance training. You know, uh, Russell Ferguson studied modern and African and tap. Uh, Sarah Von Gillen was a competitive figure skater. So they just preferred hip hop and crumbs. So, um, mm-hmm. and when Joshua was in Vegas week, they almost kind of treated him like a liar for it. Like, we've had some questions about what your training is. It's like, he never lied. Also, like, that's the whole idea of the show is to have, like, dancers on who can do different kinds of dance. So you think you would be happy that he has had this training in other aspects. No, I definitely noticed that as well with, like, the archetypes. It's like they decided the box that these dancers were going to fit in at the beginning of the season. And that is exactly what all the producers focused on during the editing and all of the different, like, side clips and everything like that. Which did get very tedious. I found it tedious in, like, Idol series. I found it tedious in, like, all reality TV shows. Especially when you can tell they're trying to push a very specific narrative that, like, that dancer doesn't really want to have kind of thing or doesn't represent. Like, there's only so many 
dead moms I can take. No offense. <laughs> there, that's also why I started, especially as I got older, I, I know that the audition episode is always everyone's favorite episode of a reality competition series. Um, I really didn't find that as I got older. I preferred the, the Vegas week was actually mm-hmm. always by far my favorite week. I love the rare season when you got to do two Vegas week, two Vegas oh, week episodes. Those were my favorite when the episode would be coming to an end and they're like next week with Vegas week. And I'm like, oh, yes, more. Because that was no. the only time they ever let Lorianne Gibson on the show. <sighs> my love her. <laughs> I loved Vegas week because I found it was like almost the realest time because audition is so like reality TV like hi my name is like Kent and I'm just a great dancer and like very like Ken and Barbie kind of things and then during the actual season with the performances they're so like kind of you don't get you get the behind the scenes but only so much and you can tell they're trying to push a very specific kind of like they struggled with this dance so let's show them now like succeeding or failing while vegas week was very much these are dancers in a dancing environment and giving it their all and they're like going at choreography and this is choreography they've never learned or like done before and they're working on these routines with people they've never met and just felt the realest time And that's how open auditions work, you know, just like seeing people crowded on a stage. You can't properly see the choreographer. Um, They randomly yell at you for something and you don't know why. (laughs) You're like, okay. (laughs) I'm not saying Kate Jablonski once yelled at me for yawning in her class, but Kate Jablonski (laughs) once yelled at me for yawning in her class. And so there are so many instances of that. Again, I point to Lorianne Gibson, but also Mia Michaels of just like, you see the, the way they pick out a dancer and decide to be really mean to them during this yeah. week. But I'm like, you know what? That's so fucking real. Mm-hmm. No, it's so real. And you can tell, like, it's almost like a different side of the choreographers too, which I always like, like during Vegas week when I was like, I love Mia Michaels and I would defend her with my life. Like there were a few instances of Mia Michaels, like the, the way she treated uh, Danny Tidwell, not a fan, mm. but at least she apologized on camera yeah. for it. So that's isn't that the like bars on the ground? You know, we'll we'll say it right now because I was just so um, elephant in the room is that Danny Tidwell passed away two years ago in a car accident. Um, probably one of the most, if not the most, gifted male dancer on the show. Um, I feel like I mean he he got everything that he deserved and more on that show. He mm-hmm. came in second uh, to a very deserving winner. Um, he just vicar that whole season was a victory lap but he was you know repeatedly called cocky and arrogant and it's just like first of all i have a hard because you saw that then the next season with will wingfield you Mm -hmm. saw that the season after that with brandon bryant and there was a trend almost with the dancers they referred cocky and arrogant (laughs) almost like um you know for being such an open world because oh we have a you know because a lot of gay men dance, so oh, this is the most open progressive world, progressive world you can imagine. No, because they treat black men like they just they get angry at them when they don't fulfill a certain stereotype. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I, I felt what it was with Danny Tidwell was he brought so much dignity. Mm-hmm. He was proud of his profession, and like so you think and. It, really especially in later seasons it was such a kind of muggy over enthusiastic show and like you can take that like it's a lighthearted summer show he wasn't like that he wasn't very mm-hmm. scream at the camera and make silly faces and it's mm-hmm. like they ostracized him for that and it's like that's just how he was you know he was mm-hmm. a very strong person so um 
despite that i i mean season three was such a juggernaut for me season three is just i rewatch performances from season three like whenever i go on youtube i'm like i want to rewatch something i'm automatically going to like season three performances um i did once have a ballet solo to the chairman's waltz and it was because of that season because that was um that like if you were a dancer you knew that the year the the season after a song was featured and so you think you could dance <laughs> you that's why in 2007 you're sitting at your dance competition like oh this is the sixth hide and seek routine i've seen today and then the next year it was the moment i said it <laughs> oh i had a routine in high school to the garden and i can almost guarantee it was after the garden performance everyone did the garden that's right that I I mean, it's a great song. I love it, but... <laughs> that was the year after I graduated. I was really happy to have had yeah. that out. Yeah. Um, but I... So season one was a bit of a weird one for me because um, they, they tried to do... I think they tried to do a much more like personality-driven thing. Like if you look at the Vegas week, there was so much attempt to manufacture like personality-driven drama. Like, oh, Blake Ugh. McGrath's had too much experience. And like, <laughs> it was just, cause like you didn't get that in later season. Oh no. I mean, the season with Benji, like you, you have like personality. <laughs> but there's another very distinct thing about season one that I forget every time until you watch it again. And why I think season two felt like such a step up. And do you know what the difference was? What was the difference? Kat Dealey. Oh my god. She we need to have like a peak show episode just on like reality TV show hosts because she changed the game. I oh my god. Her dresses every week, outstanding, incredible. The amount of times I listen to my mom just be like, look at her legs. <laughs> like, and just like so ageless and pleasant and like I, I remember even like when there were dancers in auditions fully having like meltdowns. She's just like, oh dear. It's like the way Gordon Ramsay is with the little kids. Yes. But all the time. But yeah, there's no switch for her. And she had such an amazing chemistry with the judges, like specifically. The judges. Like, the judges. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it just like awoke something in my brain that I like completely forgot about. <laughs> but like. That's something you need too, especially because these aren't like, like, like if we're comparing it to the idol format, like Paula Abdul, Randy Jackson, and like Simon Cowell, who have like such huge personalities themselves. Like these are very different people, and like it's hard to understand like when they're critiquing dance technique because like the average person is gonna be like, oh yeah, they had their toes flexed for that. How dare they? So you have to have like a way to make these judges almost more like personable and like easy to engage with. I think it's a good opportunity to talk about judges because um, I think like you, I kind of crammed for this and watched a bunch of performances uh, for, over the last week. Um, I have to say, even though I will still say, I'll always believe she was annoying. Um, Mary Murphy, I have come around on so much. She carried that judges panel a lot of the time. It was no surprise to me why they made her like the judge for the Canada uh, version and not say Jean-Marc Jeanneur, who is Canadian. <sighs> Jean Jeanneur and I have issues. <laughs> so, oh my God. 
But uh, no, Mary Murphy, like, I mean, yes, she got a little like with her whole hot tamale train and screaming. It's like when a little kid does something that makes you laugh. And so they decide to do it over and over yeah. again. Yeah. But like I was watching uh, Brandon Bryant's season five audition. And that was one where Mary Murphy was just moved to tears. And like I... I, I feel like it was so genuine from her, whereas someone like I, I'm not a big fan of Sonia. I like Sonia Tai's choreography. I didn't like her as a judge. Um, I'm the like, exact same. I need I she was a someone who made a big show out of how moved mm-hmm. she was, whereas Mary Murphy was just like this very intimate thing. And like I've been that been there, especially as a teacher, where you feel moved by watching someone dance. That even mm-hmm. if it's like I've watched my kids do um, like a tap dance routine to an Arkell song. Um, because I'm secretly Kyle Davis. <laughs> Kyle, the trade deadline's coming up. Come on, why are you starting a podcast? <laughs> with with Max Kerman, who is a podcast host. Um, oh but yeah, like, um, where even if it's like a pleasant little happy routine, you start crying because you just see like the product of all the work mm-hmm. and stuff. And th- this was a woman who really, really knew um, just the work that it takes to be a dancer. The other thing too is people forget like, because she was perhaps she gave fewer technical critiques which again like you mentioned is because uh i don't expect someone to appreciate me saying oh your ribs were nice and closed the whole time they don't get what that means that's basically speaking like a completely different language to people but she knew her shit in ballroom i've Mm -hmm. i've done a little bit of ballroom in high school um it's really really hard i've done more latin i've never done swing but like um and very rarely, uh, especially mainly in the earlier seasons, she would choreograph. And like, she's an amazing choreographer. Mm-hmm. So um, of all the judges, I think I wrote down who some of my favorite judges were. Um, Mar- Mary Murphy's up there, but also Lil C. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. He, his voice is so gentle. <laughs> I want him to read me stories. <laughs> And uh, Mandy Moore, um, who I, I love how, I mean, as as a fan of This Is Us, you know, there, there's there's two Mandy Moores to be a fan of. And I still primarily think of Mandy Moore, the choreographer. Um, love her choreography as well, because like I, especially now as an adult, I love old school Luigi jazz. Like that was how I trained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you when when dance studios become a thing again, like I'm always at Metro Movement dancing with Phil Nero and we do our 80s style jazz. Mm-hmm. And Mandy Moore, all her routines were so 80s. Um mm-hmm. but man, it's it's just you don't see people dance like that anymore. So she was one of my she was one of the only people that I had down for both my favorite judge and favorite choreographer. My favorite choreographers are Tony Meredith, uh, Ty Stereo, Mandy Moore, and Shane Sparks. I have so many favorite choreographers down, so I'm going to tell you all those now. Yay! So I had <laughs> judges I found, like, like, I would see them and I'd like them. And definitely Mandy Moore, I found she had, like, just a perfect way of judging because like you said for judging a dance show where you're talking to dancers so you want to give them critique but then you're also talking to an audience of like non-dancers like so you have people like my mom who didn't know the difference between like contemporary and modern kind of thing and I'm like okay so here we go so you have to approach it in such a certain way and like I really found that like Mary, especially like you were talking about and Mandy were able to kind of connect on that level that reached every audience and also made you realize like what you were watching. Like when Mary started crying, you're like, oh God, I'm crying too. Like that was a really good performance. (laughs) 
Um, but favorite choreographer, so I have Tice Diario as well. I do have Sonia because I just she's I love her dances. Oh yeah, she's amazing. Totally agree on the judges thing too. She's just so you look at her and you're like you're too much to like you're into yourself. Yeah, like you're great choreographing and like doing all that, but I don't want to hear you talk for that long because it's gonna get weird. <laughs> Mandy Moore as well, Shane Sparks as well, Travis Wall, and I like. There will always be a place in my heart for Travis Wall. Like, I just love him to bits. And Nappy Tabs. So, yeah. I forget who I was saying Nappy Tabs reminds me of. There's something very wholesome about them. I didn't like them as judges. Not that I hated them as judges. They just, they were kind of... They didn't give me anything, really. They were very excited. They were just like, you look great. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we know. (laughs) I also kind of liked Adam Shankman as a judge. I just think he got to be a little too much. Um, yeah, he was the same kind of Mary's Hot Tamale. It was kind of like, okay, you had your bit. We get it. Let's. But I liked what he brought in terms of like kind of like the Broadway-esque and like musical-esque and like more like LA-esque kind of look The man at knows his shit. Um, oh, yeah. He was an executive producer on one of my secret shame favorite movies, which is Seventeen Again. Um <sighs> 17 again <laughs> so oh my god uh, yeah perfect movie perfect film <laughs> but yeah like so i'll also say this he's definitely not one of my favorite judges because when he was bad he was bad when he wasn't leering at the young blonde women oh, i thought Nigel yeah. Lithgow was a great judge but it's just <laughs> he was also such a terrible judge. yeah he like walked a very fine line it's almost like i wish they brought him in for like the finals or something because he's the creator and he's an excellent dancer as well he knows his stuff he's been there he's like all of that but it's like i didn't need to see him for everything i also have issue with nigel in regards to judging when they would do because i know after i think it was kind of like after season three as they started to bring in the different like cultural dances as well so you'd get african jazz or i remember it was like yeah. um, so many quote unquote Bollywood dances and just Bollywood. PSA which... people, Bollywood is not a dance genre. No. You th- are you thinking of Bhangra? Like <laughs> there's there's Bollywood films. Yes. Oh. Yeah. And so I remember that too because we had um, a choreographer come in and my teacher was like, okay, it says Bollywood, but it's at, and I can't remember the name of the dance right now and it's killing me, but we were all just like, oh yeah, Bollywood, like on So You Thinking Tan. She's like, no, that's not what it is. Ha, have so you ever done would... Bhangra? I think so. It's, I did it once for about half an hour. It's so Kills hard. you. It's Kills so you. hard. But it's, a, it's so hard. Laurier, where I went, had a South Asian dance team. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they'd bring in like like African jazz and quote unquote Bollywood. Sorry. Your dog's doing a tap dance. She is. Um, and I remember there was a folk dance they did. <laughs> well, there was the trade pack. It was like a Scandinavian, I want to say like Norwegian, like and I remember, like, the judges, like, straight up, like, laughed at it. But I remember, and I was watching, I'm like, well, then why did you make them do it? Like, if you can't respect, like, this dance, which... And they would bring in the choreographers from the region who, like, specialize in this choreography. Like, this is their lifeblood. And they're like, that's not great for our show. Like, they would, like, blatantly say that. It was a Russian folk dance uh, from Janine and Philip. 
in yes. season five, Janine, who eventually won. Yes, I remember. Yes. And because they had like full like kind of regalia costumes. And I remember like, I think it was specifically Nigel was just like, well, we won't be having that on again or something like that. And it was like, pardon me, <laughs> Nigel, like you, you brought them in to do this and by all accounts the dancers did it wonderfully the choreographers looked thrilled in the audience when they'd shoot to them in the audience but it was very like mm. it was just also very frustrating as well because um nigel lithgow would frequently pat himself on the back right on the air about like all the things the show is doing for dance i'm like well <sighs> you just tried to bring in some actual cultural diversity mm-hmm. and you shat all over it. Literally, yeah. So let's stick to our contemporary sad dance and our happy hip hop and our sexy salsa. I also, I remember thinking um, that summer, uh, I knew exactly why they brought that dance on. It's because the previous season um, in the finale, Twitch and uh, who, oh, I'm so sick of Twitch. I was so sick of Twitch. <laughs> he was an he was amazing on the show. I remember they did Twitch did the mercy. It was a dance to mercy with the door with the door. Oh my god, it was incredible. But then it, the the Ellen of it all. <laughs> I joked and I, I joked on Twitter that there was a direct so you think you can dance to Hamilton Pipeline by which I Neil. mean. <laughs> um, wait, Neil was in Hamilton. I know that Neil was in um, another Lin-Manuel Miranda musical, the Bring It On musical. Oh, Neil, we're going to get you out of there. Yeah, um, which actually, the Bring It On musical is pretty good. Um, but And that's an, a musical where you have to be able to sing, dance, and tumble, which Neil Haskell could do. Um, so I saw that I saw it live because it was a touring musical. Um, it says he was in Hamilton, probably as like a backup. Yeah, probably not original cast, but I know for, for sure original cast, Thane Jasperson, because he did the... He- for the, like, um, uh, he was in the, like, Disney recording of it. He's a dancer in the background. A- Ariana DeBose was also a uh, was also a featured dancer in Hamilton. She was season six, so. Um, mm. But then, you know, that's, I joke, so I must destroy the show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the last, I'd say, five or six years of the show, there's been a So You Think You Can Dance to So You Think You Can Dance pipeline. And it kind of makes it feel like those kids who graduate high school and then just keep hanging around. And like, it is because of the All-Stars format, but it's like, we can never let go of Dominic. We can never let go of of Twitch and or Allison. And it it's hard because as a dancer and someone who has done a little bit of professional work, it's really hard to get like, I understand why they come back. Like, it makes total sense. kind of makes it seem like, oh, they're not getting work. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was about to say as well, is that I would see them. I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. Like, um, like one of my favorite performances that we're going to touch on is the one that Kent and Neil did. And I was so happy that Neil was there. But then it was also, I remember watching it, like, with my mom. And she's like, oh, well, I guess he didn't get any work if he's back on this. And, like, it's harsh, but that is... Also, like when you think about the audience that this is going to, like this isn't just a dance audience that is watching this that's going to be like, oh yeah, like it's so tough to break into things and like it's so difficult, like all of that. Like it's going to kind of like normies, like my mom, who's like, oh, well, like I guess he didn't get a job. (laughs) It's, uh, you feel bad, um, Mm -hmm. but, and yeah, this, 
the kind of so you think family i'm like that's not why i watched the show yeah no i i watched for the i think that they kind of lost the plot at like like i said like after kind of like season eight kind of thing when they start doing bringing in all these different ideas and everything of like i don't watch it for like the the gimmicky stuff or like you said the so you think you can dance family i watch it because i love to watch dance and i could easily watch dance on my tv set at like 7 p.m 8 p.m central like every week oh totally so um since we're talking favorites um i gotta say um my favorite favorite routine uh i thought about and like you can definitely see obviously i'm biased toward the early seasons so um I, and uh, one of my favorite routines is a group routine. It is Wade Robson's Put Your Hands Where My Eyes Can See. I think from, it was, might have been that season or the season four, everyone remembers his routine to Rama Lama. That's my favorite group routine. <laughs> I just thought it was a little bit too, maybe I, okay, I got to divorce myself from the context because like I said, the next year at competition, every dance was yeah. to Rama Lama and everyone doing the, the hinge walks, like the zombies oh, to dancers. Yeah. I'm like, no, have you absolutely. guys just learned how to hinge? Excuse me. Uh, you should be I hinging at the bar. <laughs> this is why we're so cool. And even though we're in quarantine, we would totally get invited out places all the time. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think it's my favorite because when I think group, like, I'm like, oh, what, like, group routine? So, like, it immediately pops in my head. And I'm just like, that was so much fun fun and that's what I wanted from the group routines I think I found was just like I wanted that like fun and over the topness because it's just that's what I love about it well and like I am a big fan and especially since breaking away from competition dance I'm a huge fan of routines that use space and that aren't just choreographed for a front-facing stage Mm -hmm. because I think that's like the least creative way to choreograph and some of the some of the most creative pieces I've seen from like Toronto dance theater and and dance dance works and stuff have are decidedly jazz dance works um haven't just used a front facing stage they've incorporated space in different ways and so that's what I really like about Wade Robson really used the stage that way Shane Sparks really used the mm-hmm. stage that way uh Ty Diorio, who I will also say Ty Diorio was one of my least favorite judges I thought he was way too mean and way too muggy he what it's like they told him you're the bitchy one yeah oh the they and they in season six they did a montage of tice as a judge and i'm like you're just being mean to be yeah like you're not like you're not like a fun simon or something you're like you're tice diorio like come on step down a second but uh, yeah, so put your hands where my eyes could see was so cool. Like, and the the way it incorporated mod style into everything. Um, also, I fucking love that song. Um, and then for um, for duets, um, Benji Schwimmer's Rockefeller Skank, which was danced by Pasha Gavalov and Sarah Von Gellern. Um, West Coast Swing rules. I've like. Thank you, So You Think, for bringing West Coast Swing into my life. Like, that's all I have to say. Like, I don't I don't know how I lived prior to it. See, so you're a few years younger than me, and you don't have older siblings, so I will say, coming of age in the late 90s and having a sister in high school, the late 90s swing revival was fucking real, and it was terrible. <laughs> uh, but- I'm glad I missed it. Did- <laughs> all right, now I'm going to sound like a real grandma, but Liz, are you familiar with the Cherry Poppin' Daddies? You know, no, I'm not. <laughs> Can't say I am. Uh, they, they did that song, Zoot Suit Riots. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know that one. 
But yeah, so um, Rock Palace Gank was such a refined routine. And like, of course, you've got Pasha Kavalov who can be a really good, like, swing trained dancer. But then Sarah Von Gellin, again, like, she's, you know, she wasn't quote unquote just a B girl, which, first of all, no one's what is it? just what does it a mean? <laughs> Yeah, can you expand on that for me? I'd like to know what you think from that. <laughs> But, but she, she was very trained in other, you know, I'll say studio styles of dance. And she was a competitive, you can, I know a lot of competitive figure skaters. Like, they, they know ballet. Mm, but, you um, have to. But rarely do they know West Coast Swing. You generally can't take West Coast Swing at a studio where you're studying ballet and jazz. That's just not how studios work. So um, she did that so well. It was so fucking cool. Uh, and it was so, like... I, I liked Benji as a winner. I wasn't one of those people like, no, Travis should have won because he reminds me of the dancers that I dance with. Like, um, I, I thought Benji was a fine winner. Um, he's one of the only ballroom winners they've had. Um, yeah. So I, I was fine with him. Um, but um, I like him so much better as a choreographer than a contestant. No, I definitely agree with that. Like, Benji on the show, I think, just rubbed me the wrong way, I think. A little muggy, yeah. Yeah, very, like, smile for the camera kind of thing, like, but as a choreographer, he knew his shit so well, and it was just, like, amazing to watch. Like, anytime that choreographer, you're just like, you're so good at what you do, this is incredible. Yeah. So then, uh, one of the, the other ones I put down for my favorite routines, which is probably, like, not one that I think anyone else has said is their favorite routine, but it was a musical theater number called Sit Down, You're Rockin' the Boat. Uh, Tice Diorio did it. It was from season four. And it was Katie Shin and Will Wingfield. Will Wingfield yes! is one of my favorite of all time. It was just, I really think that musical theater and like, again, being someone who was a bad dancer in high school, <laughs> I was always on like, you get the musical theater routine. You can't do fuete, so we're not going to put you in the lyrical mm-hmm. routine. You're going to do jazz square. Three, you don't have nice feet. You know, <laughs> you've got to sway back. But you've got personality, so we're going to give you a musical theater routine. Get your tuck turns ready. Really really narrows it down. (laughs) Just hammer on the head right now. now. I I was a tap dancer, and I I still am very proudly a tap dancer, um, which also is called a non-technical style, and gee, I wonder why. Excuse me. Could it be because it's one of the only other dance styles pioneered by by Black America? I, you know, I'm not sure about that. Uh, how dare you make that connection? They they did tap dancer dirty on that show too. Although a tap oh. dancer did win eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think musical theater is kind of an underrated style because, like, in um, I've had to tell so many of my students because, like. I'm I'm 16. Why am I still getting musical theater dances? Like musical theaters for babies. Yeah, musical theater is for kids, so they can smile and step. First of all, that's where you're gonna get work. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like that's you gotta know how to do musical theater. But um, mm-hmm. I, I do think Tysterio had a way of just creating extremely sophisticated, very understated uh, routines. And sit down, you're rocking the boat. Look it up on YouTube. It'll just make you happy. It is so good. I remember watching it and you just smile the whole time. Like, because Will Wingfield just, is such a pro. Oh, also that. Like, that's one thing the show, like, did well was the musical theater routines I found. They all had this air, like, they didn't have the, like, campy kid energy that no a lot of people sync. expect. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And if they did, it was like a very specific moment or like obviously needed like a cell, like the cell block tango group routine. Like obviously, obviously you're going to kind of lip sync for that. But at the same time, like it didn't feel like kids doing it. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of went off your format. I did like the group one and then I did a duet and then like a solo, or not a solo, I guess. But okay, so I have two duets. So I have Neil, like everything Neil did. Neil is one of my favorite contestants. And perhaps that is because when he was on, I was approximately 12 and just like, wow, a boy dancer who isn't like super gay. <laughs> look at his layouts. Oh, I'm like, look at his arms. Look at his arms. Look at his arms. Um, but Night of the Dancing Flame, I will. Oh, yeah. I remember watching it live. Like that is how Im- Im- like embedded it is in me and just was that Wade Robson it was yeah and specifically I remember he like flexed his fingers out at one point little things were just like Neil was such an amazing jazz dance he also did like sweet dreams which I want to say was Mandy Moore that was Mandy Moore yeah Yeah, the the table routine yeah the table routine um he and I love jazz like jazz was my favorite like, um, style to perform and to learn. Like, it was just so much fun. And I loved everything he did. It was very, like, Fosse-esque with the hands. And he was so just expressive with his movements. So Night of the Dancing Flame, just, I will watch it when I will be like, you know what? I'm just feel I'm going to watch Night of the Dancing Flame. Um, and then my other favorite is also Neil. <laughs> and I've mentioned it before. He did it with Kent Boyd, who was not one of my favorites. And, but he did, it was how it ends. And it was Travis Wall. And so basically it was like the betrayal of like two friends. And, but I just loved the dance because it was so well danced by both of them. And I remember I was amazed that Kent could do something without like smirking his face off. (laughs) I was very judgmental when I would watch. Um, But it was just so like masculine and just like such a strong dance, which was one of the things I liked about like when they did the all-stars or brought the all-stars back as pairs is they would do the like two male partners two female partners which i thought was i was like why aren't we doing this already like there's so many ways to do this but you have to have the male and female partner so you can do ballroom it's like no give me ballroom with two men please (laughs) that's also why and I, i again my thoughts on why season six is actually better than season five um season six they had kind of a showcase episode when they announced the first the top 20 and i don't know if they yes. actually did that after that i don't think so but um that had group routines and so it was mixed gender um two of my favorite uh, like not quite favorite favorite but two very memorable routines from that were um i i want to say this was a tice contemporary routine uh crying by katie lang um, and yeah, four dancers in, uh, in all wearing whites, very haunting because it, and that, that was the season that Billy Bell originally made the top 20 and then oh, we yes. had to withdraw, uh, B- Billy Bell was in that one. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, there was a trio of the three hip hop dancers and that was such a great, um, a great trio of hip hop dancers. You had Russell Ferguson, who was a crumper. You had Legacy mm-hmm. Perez, who was a B-boy mm-hmm. and then, uh, Kevin, uh, Hayes. Well, I, no, Kevin Hayes is a hockey player. Kevin Hayes, I don't think does hip hop. Uh. Kevin, 
Kevin, Kevin. Um, I can't think of his last name. <laughs> he was, but he was um, mainly just a more conventional hip hop dancer. And they did this fantastic trio to Beggin, which was yes. Oh my god! Sorry. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it it so just incorporated good. all their styles, and I thought that was one of the few times where I really saw hip hop truly respected on that show, and that like it gave us an education because like no, a b boy is not the same as a crumper. Yeah. And that's, no, that's, I think that's exactly it. Like I was, I loved the showcase like episode as well, because I thought it was the perfect time to be like, these are what these dancers do. Like, this is what they do. And they're going to show you how good at the, they are, what they do. Cause I remember you'd have seasons where you would have a like quote unquote hip hop dancer get ballroom, contemporary jazz, rumba, like all of these different things before they even got close to their like, style which i felt was kind of like cutting them at the knees because you're constantly being like well you know for a hip-hop dancer you didn't do too bad and it's like i want to see what they can do like i've seen their audition and i saw vegas which both of those times like isn't necessarily their like best best like i want to see them choreographed in their style on the stage so you can show me how good they are but yet remember the one dancer who got to do on point melissa sandwich Yes, Melissa. I knew it was Melissa. And I remember, I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing, because I love to watch Point. I'm like, but I don't see this same thing given to, like, the hip-hop dancers or the tap dancers or any other style. Like, it's just this Point dancer who's like, oh, you got ballet this week. You know what? Throw on the Point shoes. Let's go. I'm like, that does it, that did not sit right with me at all. And I remember I was mad about it all season. <laughs> And I loved that routine. I believe it was like Romeo and Juliet or something. It's the only time they've had a traditional pas de deux. I love pas de deux. Like oh, everything. It's so yeah. beautiful. And I think Romeo and Juliet is my favorite pas de deux of all ballet styles. Like, I was supposed to see Romeo and Juliet like at the NAC in Ottawa, April 23rd of 2020. <laughs> something happened. Yeah, then something came up and I wasn't able to make it. <laughs> um, Melissa Sandvig, it's like, it goes to show that the pulling the dance genre out of a hat is not actually no it's not pulled out of a hat which then makes you be like how come you didn't give like these contestants their like numbers so many weeks in a row how come nigel it's yeah when you when you talk about getting to see a dancer actually in their element that is one of the few things again i didn't like the all-star seasons necessarily but one good thing about it was seeing the the dancer the contestants actually doing what they were supposed to be good at because um, mm -hmm. someone like Comfort Fidoki, who in season four, like, I mean, poor her. She she had to do, like, the waltz, I remember. And I was so mad. I was like, no, don't make, that's not what she does. Who cares if she can do a waltz? <laughs> she was one of those hip-hop dancers, you know, unlike someone like Joshua Allen, who had done some studio dance and some ballet and jazz training, she had never trained in anything no. else. And so she did fine but like mm -hmm. just week after week and then to see her in the all-star season actually doing you know the job she was hired to do and it's like she is so good so good that was one thing that was so frustrating i felt like sometimes like for a show that wants to like put out like the best possible product essentially you're not because you're making these dance like and i understand that they want them to do different styles and everything like that but like someone like i remember watching like i comfort do like i want to say it was like the viennese waltz because that's like dagger in the back for everyone 
they were so mean to her about they it. were awful to her and i like i remember sitting at home and being like what do you want <laughs> like the choreographer is saying like this is the hardest thing you can do as like a like ballroom dancer and you have comfort who is this incredible dancer but this is not her genre and that's fine and you're dragging her over the coals like I don't think that you would drag other dancers as hardly over the coals for not doing the Viennese waltz correctly. There are certain other dancers that I'll say um, they frankly, because all, all reality shows want certain contestants to advance. That's, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. And there are certain dancers, and I'm, I, nothing against her because she's one of my favorite all-timers, Lacey Schwimmer, they really babied her with a oh lot of her. Like, God. okay, Lacey, your first contemporary, can you be a ragdoll? Yeah. <laughs> can you not have to do any kind of technique at all? And you let are literally Cameron just throw you around. I God, I wish that was me, but <laughs> every okay. Also, every single dance Pasha ever did, I was like, I will take up ballroom. I will do it. <laughs> Uh, I like Pasha so much more than Dimitri. Dimitri was supposed to be the sexy one, but I'm like, I... Pasha looks funny. Pasha looks like he, like, cares about other people in the world. <laughs> Pasha Dimitri... keeps his shirt on sometimes. Sometimes. Dimitri, it was... That... <laughs> oh my god. I just remember watching and just being like, oh, well, there goes his shirt. Okay. All right. Well, that was ten seconds into the dance. New record! Like... I'm going to say something that I have said about a few people, including Frederick Anderson. There are certain <laughs> people that you look at and you think they're probably a withholding lover. Yeah, no, no. D Dimitri does not understand um, equal, like... But um, another contestant who was better as a choreographer, because he came back as a yes. choreographer and he was incredible. Oh, yeah. I think there are, like, I think the show like really shows that there are, like... They don't necessarily have the personality for being the contestant or something like that, but they are incredible at what they do, and I want to watch them do what they can do. And when they're the choreographer, I don't have to watch the, like, gimmicky things that the other choreographers make them do as contestants, because it was so obvious. I feel like Dimitri had, like, Jean-Marc Jean-Rôle for one of his, like, routines, and he's like, we're gonna take off the shirt, and I'm like, Ugh. Why? Like, I love to look at Dimitri as much as the next, like, person, but I can tell that you're doing this as a thing now. It, when you look, though, at season two and that was the most gimmick we had, I think, like, oh, for, oh, I love Yeah, like, oh, sweeter times. <laughs> so I just noticed in looking at my favorite contestants, I actually didn't have any from season two. I'm surprised they didn't put Travis Wall because I did like him or Danielle Jones. I was gonna say, I feel like Travis, you're just like, yeah, like, I love Travis, obviously. Like, I don't need to list him as my favorite. We all know how we all feel about Travis Wall. Um, especially, he's the dancer that I find, former, you know, youth dancers, competitive dancers, he's the one we all love, you know? Because oh, yeah. he was so very clearly, like, fresh out of studio dance at the time, and he just, he was the one that we could all see ourselves at. Mm-hmm. He was very, like, yeah, like you said, he's very, like, I can project myself onto him. And he was, he was the perfect 
I am feeling like very gracious and humble about all this, but I'm also like, I know that I'm good. Like he was the perfect balance for reality TV. Um, back when I was on Facebook, um, uh, there was a few like dance teachers groups and stuff that I was part of. And his mother, Debbie Wall, was a very active member of that community. And she is an amazing person and an amazing teacher and stuff. So um, I, I think, you know, she she raised and taught him right. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. my my favorite contestants of all time, like I said, Danny Tedwell, adopted brother of uh, Travis Wall, um, just incredible. His last solo to We Are the Champions, that one will <sighs> always make me, especially Chills. now that he's he's passed, I I, I will sob at that. Um, Hakuta Kanishi or Hawk, um, oh. what an awesome beat! Oh my god, I love to watch him do anything. Honestly. He danced with so much joy. Yes. Yeah. Um, another hip hop dancer, Crumper Russell Ferguson, who won. Um, he had just such a great personality. He was so focused and he could do pretty much anything. He was also, you see this a lot in the show, but he was someone who made his partner better because he was partnered with Noel Marsh, one of the most forgettable dancers. I was going to say, who? Whoops. Whoops. Uh, he made her so much better. Um, I clearly have a big big bias toward male dancers i always have but kayla radomsky from season five um there there was nothing she couldn't do i love her uh william wingfield super professional um sasha mallory um to my knowledge uh one of the only out gay female dancers on the show Mm -hmm. and i think which was rare (laughs) it's i mean i danced with a lot of queer girls none of them were out when they were young I'll say that. That's uh-huh. that's what the dance yeah. world does. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Ade Oriami, who also came back as an all-star, he was the only person I can think of who had a better layout than Neil Haskell. He <laughs> got so much air on that layout. Um, it's just physics-defining. Physics-defining. Like, men that big. <laughs> like, how do you do it? <laughs> um, Bianca Revels, amazing tap dancer, was was eliminated really early um, because, surprise, not all tap dancers can do contemporary. You know, that is shocking to me. As someone who has done both tap and contemporary. <laughs> that was the season they had three tap dancers in the top 20, and all of them were out within the first four weeks. That was a real gut punch to me, personally. <laughs> and then uh, Kida, who won the kids season. I didn't like the kids season, but I love Kida, and he is fantastic on social media he's a he's a really great young man so yeah he rules i did not watch the kids seasons because i was a dance mom's girl um i wanted the mess not the good kid dance. but maddie really was a dance. judge i i have issues with maddie <laughs> i was a chloe girl <laughs> i uh <laughs> I'm a Kenzie girl, so. Oh, Kenzie, great option. There, dance moms speak. <laughs> Which I, I will actually say a fun So You Think connection is that Ricky Palomino, who was the first eliminated male in season three, he really got into, he was the rare So You Think to Abby Lee pipeline. He was a judge on Abby's Ultimate. He was, uh, he was a guest choreographer on Dance Moms. He's a strange little man. But... <laughs> Do your thing. <laughs> One of my favorites that I don't think you mentioned, um, Alex Wong. Yes, Alex oh. Wong. He was just, there are some dancers that are just like, they could do anything and it like brings me to tears because they're just so beautiful to watch. I remember when he snapped his Achilles tendon, like I was, 
First of all, snapping your Achilles tendon sounds like the worst thing you could ever do in the, your entire life. <laughs> but then, like, oh, he then he came back, and I just, oh my god. And he is still a working professional ballet dancer, and it's rare you see someone who is a professional ballet dancer who, quite frankly, has a comfortable life. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah, <laughs> not a world where you make a lot of money or have a lot of fun. Or have a lot of uh, food. <laughs> um, but he is, uh, he's doing well. Uh, he posts great videos on social. He's a great follow. Um, on the Achilles note, I, um, I br- everyone's probably sick of me bitching about this, but I broke my ankle two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> which I get why people are sick of uh, me bitching about it because I refuse to keep my boot on and keep dancing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really minor fracture. Um, it's, they say break, but I'm like, but it's it's a fracture. Like nothing's broken through. Yeah, it's it's just like a, a chip. It's it's swollen to about the size of a Cadbury cream egg right now. So not okay. nothing compared to what it was. But when I when I rolled it, and it's something I, I it's an ankle I sprained before in dance, landing a pot of shot on a sickled foot. So that's again, I have bad feet. Um, Lesson for you kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Um, when I did that, I could feel my Achilles tendon bend like an S-curve. And I was thinking in slow motion, this is when it happens. <laughs> oh God, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> stay calm. Everybody stay fucking calm. So yeah, um, I guess now we've kind of, we're kind of barreling toward what we think is the peak. And, and I think we are largely out of consensus. So I'm going to say not only what I think was the peak, but also kind of how it performed after that. So for me, season three was a total peak in mm-hmm. terms of quality. It was such a juggernaut in terms of who was involved. You got like Danny Tidwell, Neil Haskell, Lacey Schwimmer, and Sabra Johnson, uh, one of the best top fours you could ask for. And then the top 10 also included Sarah Von Gellern, Pasha Kovalev, Anya Garnis, um, Lauren Gottlieb, some of my favorite duets, some of my favorite group routines. Um, you know, a thing that, a routine that I think we both forgot, but I think we would both agree was pretty awesome was the hip hop duet, the Transformers inspired hip hop duets by yes. Shane Sparks. I forget uh, what song that was too, but. Um, I, I mean, I want to say it's the Chris Brown Transform, yeah. That feels correct, but uh, don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah, they had that cool little Transformers opening. Um, it was so. Uh, creative oh so so incredible um so you have i mean you could see kind of the winds of certain annoying things about it Uh, i mean and there were certain things that were already there like the overemphasis on personality the way they treated uh black male dancers um and and then it was the introduction of what i call the once a season tragedy dances (laughs) the the mia michaels you know dead father was that the cancer one the cancer dance was season five. Oh, that that was Tice. Right. Thank you, Tice. Right, right. <laughs> and then season five, the addiction dance. Oh my which, god! I mean, again, Kayla Radomski was really good in it, and they're, they're fine dances. They're actually really good dances. But like, I, it gave me flashbacks. First of all, to like competition dance era in that time. Like, I'm sitting at like my school dance competition, and it's like. We had our high school musical production and we're like, yay, we did so good. And the next one that comes out is a sad contemporary dance about death. And yeah. Well, we're not, we're um, not. No, they, they everybody. That one, right? <laughs> no, I like 
like you said, those dances were incredible, and I remember them. Like, I remember Mia Michaels' cancer dance very well. Like, I can see it in my mind right now. But they always felt so... They felt like the sob stories during audition week that were just so forced and so... You can't vote against that. Exactly. How are you supposed to vote against the story of Mia Mia Michaels' cancer mom dying? Like, it's just like... eh. It's also that... Those dances very clearly get given to the dancers that I'll say they want to have. You weren't yeah. going to give a cancer dance to Hawk because Hawk no. was never going to win. Also, like, if you look at it that way, like, I, hip-hop and, like, the subgenres of hip-hop and the different styles of hip-hop are not styles that I would associate with being able to have a quote-unquote cancer dance. So it's kind of like, okay, you can give this, like, it's like giving Melissa the point dance. It's like, okay, there's... Let's be even here. <laughs> I will say, actually, and uh, while I don't feel the same amount of Nappy Tabs love as you, I got to give Nappy Tabs credit for trying really hard to do hip-hop um, hip hop dances that had a lot of plot. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I really love hip-hop. Um, I do tend to prefer them when they're not plot-focused. But for the purpose of the show... That's what the show needed to happen. No, because you need, like, like we are saying out loud, the cancer dance, the bench dance, the, like, door, like, you need to have the bench dance, literally, I can't talk about it. But, like, you, to get people to vote, you have to have kind of memorable things and storylines and, like, we're not dumb. We, we both understand how reality TV shows work. We've, we've watched our fair share and we have our education background in, like, pop culture. So we know how this works, but it's still, like... I think both of us coming from, like, the dance perspective are like, can I just watch really good dancers? So, like, Mar- Mark Kanemura and um, Chelsea Trail? There were two Chelsea's that season. Um, <laughs> they, that says a lot about the dance world, I think. Yes. Um, they, their hip-hop routine to Bleeding Love with the briefcase, that was that was fantastic. Which, um, have you seen Mark Kanemura lately? He, I have I have not. Sh- should I? You, you probably have. He has um, gotten a lot buffer. He was um, quite the um, he, he was quite the tiny man uh, at the time. I remember. Yeah, he was like. Have you seen the video of a person in a bachelor apartment um, dancing to Cut to the Feeling by Carly Rae Jepsen and the rainbow wigs and stuff? I, I feel like I have. I watch and repost it every Pride. Um, that's Mark Kanemura. He has Shut filled up. out. He has oh filled out. <laughs> he's uh he's living very out loud which you know they, they don't really him. they don't really let them do that on so you think okay that was another thing that was always just very like elephant in the room we're just I gonna found. sit here pretending benji schwimmer is straight lit <laughs> they tried so hard me like Benji Swimmer season two. So I was probably like in grade seven. So small town, grade seven, like not a lot of like world experience. I'm like, that is the gayest man I've ever seen in my life. And they're trying to convince me that he's into his partner right now. No, (laughs) like, and it was just so interesting because like you said earlier, like Nigel was always like, oh, we're such like an open like environment. But at the same time, you're trying to convince me that Benji Schwimmer is sexually attracted to his partner and that there are these, like, swaths of gay men that are on the show that everyone, like, knows they're gay, but they're not going to talk about it. Him and Travis Wall, you know? Both openly gay. (laughs) Although, for what it's worth, Benji Schwimmer was not out at the time. No. And, like, that's a thing, too. Like, that's... 
a symptom of the dance world, but it was very, it was a very heteronormative show considering the content, I'll say. Yeah, it was like we were saying with the like mixed like partners instead of just having like boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. Yeah. Um, so like in season four, I don't want to act like it just fell off a cliff. Season four was very, very strong. But when I, I and I was going to say season four was the peak. But when I look at some of the contestants that they chose in season four uh, versus season three, I, I do feel like it really stepped down a level. And I think what that was was the show kind of growing into itself. Uh, a, a good example is someone like Carrington Payne, who was a good dancer. But I'm just like, I watched her her solo audition to Stop and Stare, which remember when uh, that group, what, what was that group's name? Are they? They're super Christian, but they hit it well. Um, <laughs> I want to say Creed or whatever. No, that but it was a very Creed-esque band. <laughs> I know the song. I can hear the song in my head. And I, again, another song that if you did dance after that season, you're like, okay, we're going to do a contemporary to that, are we? Okay. But like, it was just, it was like a competition routine her solo. It was, yeah. And like, this is, you compare that to someone like Lauren Gottlieb, who was not like, I love Lauren's audition because she was not legs she was not turns but you can still show technique and without that you can show it in your form you can show it in your abdominal engagement your spinal engagement so um and then you fast forward to like i i saw i a playlist of the greatest so you think auditions of all time and molly gray was on there uh from season six now i think molly gray is an incredibly gifted dancer and i think she's had a very amazing career after the show but um, to me, like, I, when I watched that, there was this moment when I knew, oh, this is the show past a certain point because Adam Shankman during her routine whispers to someone, she is so this show. And I'm like, this is a competition routine. Yeah, she, she's not the show. Like, she's... It, it was when the show lived in itself after a while, um, it became a thing that competition dancers aspired to do when they got out of high school. Yeah. No, exactly. Was it Lauren or whoever? On She was on the same season as Kent because they were very Ken and Barbie. <laughs> like, I think that's what she was. She was like competition dancer. She had like just graduated high school. And so she was going on because that's what you do. You go, you do high school, you do your competition and then you go to So You Think like, and it was, it, it lost the like, oh, like I've, just like I uh, I'm a <laughs> been trying to make it or I'm a company member or something. <laughs> I was just say I'm an accountant. I worked a full time job as an accountant, but I dance on the side. Like all like it lost that kind of like authenticity almost and it just became like okay, so we're gonna get these dancers. It became a place where um competitive dancers found themselves and grew up and that was like the plot you saw with so many like oh you are growing into this you're growing into this that's fine but i want to see a dancer who like is more refined and has kind of been around and are simply challenged with learning new styles every week also in the earlier seasons if there had been contestants who were growing on the show they would have been eviscerated for it because you were supposed to be at your best and you were like you said just learning new styles if you were growing into this while you were here that's one thing i noticed especially with the judging of the seasons as it went on it became almost a lot like softer well in the like first couple seasons it was very much like you need to know this you need to know this and very hard on dancers 
they were very mean. Like, it was like watching a real competition or like a real, like, it was like watching those like ballet documentaries. You're like, oh God, this, this isn't fun. <laughs> but it, there was a definite difference between, so say like season two judging versus like season eight judging where it, it didn't feel right. <laughs> Yeah, like, so season, between season four and season five was when I felt like it flew, fell off a cliff in terms of quality. There were still good dancers, but you know what is a crazy thing about season five? I can never remember who won it. And it was Janine Mason, who the only notable thing about her was uh, she also trained with Debbie Wall. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... And she was partnered with Philip Shabib, who was a dancer that I think they really wanted to win. And he just, he wasn't good enough at the other styles. Mm-hmm. Um, he d- doing his own thing. He's amazing. Um, but like, it was the kind of thing where I thought she was getting far on him. But then she turned out she was a gifted dancer. But I'm just, I look back and I'm like, in a season with Brandon Bryant. No, I totally agree. Like, if or I'm Kayla Radomski. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're just very, you think of certain seasons and like, especially after season three, because I'm going to agree with you. I think the show peaked at season three because season three is the one, like, like I was saying, if I am like, I'm on YouTube and I want to waste time, I'm looking up a routine from season three because it had like my favorite dancers. It had my favorite choreographers. It had all my five kind of favorite things that stick out in my head, which is what you want from a TV show. Like you want people to remember things by being like, oh my God, remember that routine from like 10 years ago? <laughs> like, and yeah, as the seasons went on, you're like, why is that person winning? <laughs> because there's very, like, that's not the best option here. <laughs> it really was hard to think of a season when the top 10, like the, you know, the latter half of the stage portion wasn't 50 to 75 percent contemporary dancers and which an issue i always had with the term contemporary dancers is like well this was clearly a competition kid who trained in jazz ballet Mm -hmm. possibly tap probably Mm -hmm. hip-hop musical theater and so like i'll say that giving a contemporary dancer a jazz routine is not the same as giving a purely hip-hop dancer a viennese wall no it's yeah no and no (laughs) absolutely like and i think that's an issue the show had that i don't think they realized was an issue but people at home i think started to realize because like i've said like even my mom who does not have like dance training would be like that doesn't feel right that they get to do that dance but like comfort has to do Viennese waltz. I'm gonna look it up after this, and it's gonna be a fucking like Viennese waltz, and I'm just gonna post it everywhere and be like, "Look at this disrespect." The disrespect. (laughs) But no, exactly. Like you would get into the top ten, and I was gonna say also, you'd get into the top ten, and I'd be like, "I like like five of these dancers. I like a couple of them, but there's like two that really shouldn't be here, but you can tell that they're here because they're like fun fan favorites because they've leaned into like the personality side or they're like judge favorites because they're growing and they just there's so much potential there and we just want to give you another shot yeah and nigel is super into them because they're small and blonde gross (sighs) one thing that i have as a question but i think it's a little bit different with so you think is um you know, would you recommend someone watch the series as a whole start to finish or as one-offs or just during a particular peak period? And 
I think because we've kind of said it several times, you don't have to watch the episode because also it's it's hard to find the episodes legally, oh, yeah. and you should only ever watch content yeah. legally. You uh, should use streaming services or your cable network to watch all programming, and never ever use the internet ever. But I think we can agree, although it wouldn't give you access to Vegas Weeks, um, that just look up routines on YouTube, uh-huh. man. Um, and, and that way, you can see that there was still magic in Season 7. There was still oh, yeah. magic in, in Season 6. Well, yes, I think Season 6, like I said, was much better than Season 5. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that there was still magic well past the peak. But it's- I would also say that if you can legally... Find Legally. season three and season two, and to a lesser extent, season four. Mm-hmm. Watch the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. they're so no. good. So good. No, exactly. Like, because that's the thing. It's not like... It's not like... I'm going to make a comparison that I think you'll really understand. It's not like, like post... What season would you say for Simpsons where there's just, like, nothing? <laughs> the Mike Scully years. There we go. So it's not like that where you're just like, I'm getting nothing from this. I'm just watching this because I feel like I need to watch this kind of thing. There, because it's still art. Exactly. The nature of the show is performers doing what they are meant to do, what they were, like, put on earth to do, and what they're just so incredibly talented at doing. And so you're going, even if it is, like, a lackluster season overall, you're still going to get those, like, incredible routines. Like, like I've talked several times on this show about how I don't care for Kent. And uh, Kent's one of my favorite, like, he's part of one of my favorite routines. And, like, you get just magic because dance is magic and like season five one of my i i for being a i was a modern dancer not a contemporary dancer i was a (laughs) modern dancer in high school i feel like you and i might have been part of the last generation of kids who actually learn modern in our studios like they don't teach Mm -hmm. modern anymore no i i like little like like fun anecdote one of the modern dances i did to high school was to um an Alice Cooper song. Nice! <laughs> yeah, which was incredible for my grandparents to come watch. <laughs> I am very embarrassed to say that the last modern dance I did with my studio before our, our program was canned in grade 11 was to Mad World, the Gary Jules um, cover. I, I, I mean, I tweeted something similar one time, but it's... Did you dance, if you didn't dance to, like, Mad World, Lightning Crashes, or Fix You by Coldplay? (laughs) I have choreographed to Fix You. However, in my defense, it was an acapella version, and it was tap. But, uh, yeah, so there was was a contemporary routine, which I... I, I'm just gonna fucking straight up call their contemporary lyrical. Oh, it's so... It's... That's how I explain it to people. I'm like, this is lyrical. Unless it was Wade Robson's, it was... It was lyrical. Even me and Michael's stuff was lyrical. It was very much lyrical. You know, my my old um, director from the studio, Toddette, had the best kind of definition for how she defined contemporary from... um, Contemporary from modern. And it was, you know, contemporary, as we call it, is the bottom of your half... The bottom half of your body is doing jazz but you've got the modern contractions and you've got the modern abdominals. And I think that's fair. Like I don't hate contemporary, but yeah. Um, But the, um, in season five, Travis Wall did a duet with Janine Mason. And I want to say Jason was her partner 
to um, If It Kills Me by Jason Moranis. It's it's a beautiful dance, you know, not a season I remember, not something worth writing home about, but that that dance, damn good. Sometimes you just want to watch, like, dancers dance. And that's what this show gave you at its best and at its worst. And that's what YouTube can give you when you're bored one afternoon. So a hot a hot question I got asked, do you think it's going to be, do you think it's going to come back? Uh, I would bet money that they are going to do some form of like hybrid season of like an at home thing, like really lean into that. Because I feel like it will be like one of the, like, they'll try and get back to like the roots of like, like anyone can dance and like everything like that. But I don't know. It's so hard to say with like the reality TV shows of like how things are going to work. Like you have RuPaul with like things between them and like. I mean, reality shows are comparatively cheaper to produce Mm -hmm. than scripted. But with So You Think, as well as other performance shows, like your venue is about mm-hmm. 75% well, of your cost. Also, like we were kind of talking about, exactly like we were talking about off mic, you need to get the rights for these songs. Or you end up like poor Matt Dorme uh, dancing ballet to pop punk. <laughs> Happens to the best of us. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I actually think if they bring it back, it will be two to three years from now as a stripped down revival season of we're going back to our roots, no all-stars, no academy. But but to be, because like the dance industry is so much bigger now than it was even when you and I were dance students. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's why it's so, frankly so easy for me to get work as a dance yeah. teacher because there is a studio on every damn block. There really is. But... And so I think there will always be an audience for it. But I mean, it has been diminishing returns. So I think they have to put some space between it and uh, between its last iteration and its next iteration. Yeah. I think they also need to kind of address a lot of the issues that like we've touched on throughout this episode of like their race issues. Oh, and yeah. Their issues with different styles and how generic their styles are. Because like, we're talking about our favorite performances and it's basically like musical theater, jazz, contemporary hybrid, like that kind of checks off. And we've mentioned hip hop dances, but like the show didn't put the emphasis on the hip hop dances kind of thing. Um, so I think that in order to come back and have any success at all, even if it is like, just like marginal success, they need to be more open and like, they need to their... attend a two-day diversity workshop. Yeah, I was about to say they need to have their like their diversity moment of just like we need to apologize for like their pre like they need to deal with that because especially when you think about like dance has grown so much in terms of like styles and like everything like that since like we were in classes even and like even since the show has started, like, because it brought things like Crump and B-Boys and stuff like that back into the mainstream, like, so to say, so things have grown and they need to grow with it instead of being like, we need to do one Viennese waltz a season. Like, the Viennese waltz is beautiful. It's gorgeous to watch, but it's also, like, how engaging is that opposed to a hip-hop routine? Yeah. Um, so I think we have agreed that So You Think You Dance peaked early, uh, it peaked 
but you know what? Uh, I was joking in uh, episode one on Malcolm in the Middle that there are a lot of things, especially comedies, that peaked in season three. It's just like a weird Gordon. Oh, no. Yeah. Comedies, like, comedies should, like, stick to, like, four seasons. That should be, like, the cap for most comedies. Yeah. I My, my husband is British, and he just doesn't understand why so many American shows just last forever. But neither do we. Uh <laughs> But, uh, well, in Canada, our shows don't last forever because they get cancelled. That's true. May you rest in peace, Kim's Convenience. So, yeah, it, it, it peaked early, but I would say it is still worth watching the highlights. So, Liz, thank you so much for being here, but I want you to plug all your stuff, tell us how we can support you and consume your content. Okay, okay so uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Yano for sure. <laughs> I like saying it out loud because I'm like, oh, wow, Canadian. Um, so that's Y-A-N-O-F-O-R-S-U-R-E uh, on Twitter. Uh, as we talked about also, you can listen to my podcast that I have with the wonderful Helen, um, Real Good Pros, that's good with a U, uh, where we talk about hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs and occasionally cry. <laughs> I think my most recent crying was... Um, thinking about the passage of time and how hockey players will eventually have to retire. So that if that's what you're about, come come check us out. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm much more crude, and if I can find one opportunity a day to say that Frederick Anderson has a huge fucking dick. <laughs> day to day with a lower body injury. Massive dong. Stick <laughs> too big. Stick too big. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Liz, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Once again, I've been your host, Brie Rody. You can follow me on Twitter at Breganism. That's like veganism with V-R-E-E. Our episodes come out every second Thursday, so stay tuned this month. Or check out our back catalog of two whole episodes. We've also got Malcolm in the Middle and King of the Hill with Jose and Mike Stevens. Coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the Mighty Ducks and probably the big guns with a scrappy little indie show called The Office. I've never heard of it. Is it good? I hope it does well. <laughs> I'm rooting for her. Our theme song is Home Alone by Jack Dump. You can find them on Bandcamp at bandcamp.com slash Jack Dump. I hope you know how to spell Jack and Dump. And our podcast art is designed by Jared Daly. I married him! Not just for making the art, we promise. <laughs> Take it easy and remember, if you think you've beat, rolling downhill is still fun. I'm sure that you don't know English that well. That's called a Freudian slip. Mia. Mia. Okay. Um, yes, that was a that was a slip. And <laughs>